What's up, everybody? This is the big show, and we are well. We're just two boys on this episode. the The trio has gone down to a duo today because Ethan quit. violated some team he rules. Quit. I'm just kidding. He didn't quit. Yeah, no, he didn't quit. <laughs> he didn't quit. He didn't violate team rules. Uh, he's he's got his head in the toilet right now. So thoughts and thoughts and prayers. Send all the thoughts and prayers to Ethan's way. Tough. Tough scene. We've all been there. <laughs> yes, we have. But you've got the two of us, Alex Day, Corey Tracina. We are going to be your hosts for today. And we've got a heck of a show planned. We've got a little bit of news to talk about with uh, UCLA, conference realignment, stuff like that. Unfortunately, this is going to be a no-nonsense show. Aww. We had zero nonsense happen But I this love week. the nonsense. Well, Corey, you're just going to have to add the nonsense where you see yes. fit. I'll tell you about some nonsense. You want to know about some nonsense? Just yes. half of the teams in the Big Ten. Just all nonsense. And one of them didn't even play. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, Nebraska is all nonsense. We didn't even have to watch them. But yeah, the conferences, we, we know how imbalanced it is. But regardless, we will throw in the nonsense where we can, whenever we can. After that, we've got week four reviews. Uh, we've got pick the week. We're going to review our records so far. We're going to pick week five. I'm going to be really excited to review records this week because I, I bounced back. Last week I took an L, but this week I bounced back. It's the long game. Slow it is a long game. It's a long season. Slow and steady, baby. As long as you're in the hunt, you got nothing to worry about. That's Corey's strategy right now. The long game. So let's hop right into it. What is the news? Well, the news is the Pac-12 commissioner, his name is like George, George Klyovkov, some, something super German like that. He's essentially doing his best to try to keep UCLA from moving to the Big Ten in 2024. And the way he's doing it is kind of weird. Nobody really knows if it's actually an effective way of doing this. He wrote a letter to Cal, like the University of California's Board of Regents, asking them to shut down the potential move. And like I said, nobody really knows if the regents at Cal can really do anything. To be honest, I don't know what regents do <laughs> in general. <laughs> it's a very fancy title, and I've I've never actually looked into what they do on a daily basis. We're, we're very open and honest here at the, at the big show, and we – the reason we talk about football is because we don't really know how much of the rest of the world works other than sports Correct. Ball. So. Correct. We know about an end zone. We know about yardage. NFTs, I I couldn't tell Maybe. you anything. Yeah, Alex is a boomer, so it's. I am not a boomer. a boomer. He's a boomer. He doesn't know how to work his laptop. Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so he wrote this letter to the regents and he had, he listed five significant concerns about UCLA moving over to the Big Ten. Uh, and some of these are just, I mean, they're so flimsy. They're like paper. One of them is negative impact on student athlete welfare, which travel, stuff like that, we can understand. The second is significant hardship for the families of UCLA student athletes and alumni. Not sure what he means by that. The third one is a negative impact on UCLA expenses. 
Uh, he said that he estimated expenses for travel and stuff would go from like 8.1 mil to 23, something like that, which it probably would because of the travel to games and stuff. This one didn't make any sense to me. Decreased revenue for Cal and the rest of the Pac-12. And then the final one, increased carbon emissions. (laughs) So that was the gist of his letter. My reaction was kind of the same as what you did right now, Corey. Um, Some of those points are a little bit valid. Some of them feel like he's closing his eyes and throwing darts. So I don't know what you have to 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 think right, about this is that. What I'm going to do, Alex. I'm going to need you to read that list again, and I'll tell you when to stop, so I can give my synopsis for each. So give me give me the five again, because all right, number one, negative impact on student athlete welfare. Okay, um, that's fairly. I would say that's fairly bogus, because like I, I feel like at the end of the day, you don't really care who you play, just as long as you get to play, right? And Maybe on the field, it doesn't matter. But I guess like if you look at the classroom, if you're traveling to like Maryland for a Tuesday night volleyball game. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's going to be, yes. Okay. That's valid. I can see that because that's going to be the direct impact on the student side of the student athlete, but not necessarily the athlete side of the student athlete. So overall valid. Got it. Next point. Significant hardship for the families of UCLA student athletes and alumni. Uh, more so families, because yeah, agreed. What UCLA would play USC, right? So, like, okay, that's the game that you could see your kid play, right? They go to right. Iowa. I mean, like Iowa is technically one of the clo- schools closest to them in this layout, right? They go to Iowa. That's that's a plane ticket, you know. And not every family is going to be able to afford that. Heck, they go and play at Michigan. Are you kidding? That's like, like you can't just do a weekend trip off of that. So I'd say that's pretty valid. Alumni, the only alumni that people ever talk about are the rich and famous ones. That's bogus. Because, like, you, you will see Michigan fans, for example, at any West Coast game that they play, ever. And I think that would be the same for a UCF or USC UCLA game at any time, uh, except for when they play at home, because apparently the Rose Bowl is just always oh, empty. I don't, yeah, what the heck? But okay, so point number two, valid. I'd say that number three, negative impact on UCLA expenses, which most makes valid. sense, I guess, because of the trap. Most valid. It's all about the money. At the end of the day, it's all about the money. That's why UCLA and USC made this change into the big 10 because of that lucrative contract deal with the networks. Um, But also I said this from the very beginning, like this is going to be good for football and basketball, but women's water polo, they're going to get screwed. And we're going to, we're going to lose. If this happens, if we go to the era of super conferences, we're going to lose the, like the, not the, the not profitable, quote unquote less cool division one sports. Like, I mean, I, I live with I live with a, a Purdue guy. I've made that very clear. He watches I, like we watch uh, you know, volleyball or soccer. I watched Michigan field hockey when they were in like the national championship. Like w- with Same. this change, field hockey might not exist. You know, wrestling already, which was a storied uh 
program for Stanford University, they were getting cut due to COVID. So, yes, I agree. This is going to be this is going to send more shock waves via the collegiate expenses than we think initially. It looks good on paper, but like, okay, how great is it going to be when you have to send the swim team to Maryland in the middle of February on a charter plane? Yep, good point. And then I'm going to lump these last two together um, because I- I'm just going to do it. The The next one is decreased revenue for Cal and the rest of the Pac-12, which is like, okay, obviously if the two biggest brands in the conference leave, the revenue for the former conference that they were in and the schools in it is going to go sure, down. Yes. But but this is just one domino. Like those other schools are going to join up with different conferences. Like like this is not the the last of this. So it's kind of like a well well duh that would happen and it would be unfortunate, but I'm sure they would all negotiate new deals with new conferences mm-hmm. to join. And then the last one is the increased carbon emissions, which yes, the the plane the the plane flights, the the extra travel Yes, carbon emissions would increase. I, but I don't know if you're stopping a university from joining the Big Ten based off. I, of I don't. I don't want to get into the conversation that heads to the political side because this is supposed to be a fun sports podcast. But I, I will <laughs> yeah. briefly touch on this one point. A lot of the stuff that you see about like climate change and whatnot is like, oh, these corporations are the ones that are like polluting the oceans or like doing all like like crazy carbon emissions and it's like and you expect us to lower our carbon footprint by using a a plastics or a excuse me a paper straw right so if two schools start using more plant is that really going to make that big of a difference like is it going to fall more closely with the person who's using a paper straw or the multi-billion dollar corporation that controls 50 80 percent of the industry it's probably going to fall more towards like the individual side like yes they're big schools yes they have a lot of like pull obviously with this but like come on (laughs) that's that's a little that's a little lame i think it's safe to say on this show we 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 believe in football. That that's the side <laughs> of the aisle that we fall on. We believe in ball. Ball, huh? Ball. We believe in ball. In ball. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's it for that. But I mean, who knows if this will actually lead to something that prevents UCLA from getting here? There's been a lot of pushback from a lot of people, specifically about UCLA for for some reason. I don't know why he singled them out over USC, USC. Is the is the golden ticket there? Right, exactly. So uh, we'll see if anything happens further that might uh, might prevent that move from happening. So that's the news. Let's hop into week four. Just to start off week four, this team didn't play football, this team being the Nebraska Cornhuskers, but they took an L somehow. They, they found a way to take an L on their bye week, and the way they did that was former Nebraska great. Adrian Martinez, who now plays for Kansas State, went into Oklahoma. Actually, I don't know if it was, it was. in Oklahoma, but was he in Oklahoma. was it in Oklahoma. He went into Oklahoma and took down the Sooners with an absolutely electric 
performance, which is just so poetic because last week Nebraska got their rear ends kicked in against Oklahoma. So it just it was just a bad week again for Nebraska fans. Two things. Number one, Kansas State has given Oklahoma fits. I think they've won like the past three years that they've played. Three, three out of four three they've out of won, four. Okay. I believe. So, like, for whatever reason, Oklahoma just cannot beat Kansas State. doesn't matter if they're at home or on the road. They just have a tough time. So, Kansas State's got the blueprint to beat Oklahoma, uh, and it happens just about every year. Um, but number two, I saw, like, uh, in the Twitterverse, like, it, Martinez broke off, like, a 40-yard touchdown run at the end of that game. Um, and it was like, this is Adrian Martinez's Heisman moment. And I was like, kind of laughed to myself. And I was like, like, LOL, Adrian Martinez isn't going to win the Heisman. But I remember not last year, but the year before Adrian Martinez was on like many like football insiders, like Heisman watch lists. Yeah. Like the dark horse Heisman lists. But yep. like, no, I think even remember like, like I think one of those seasons that Scott Frost was there, they were a preseason ranked team, weren't they? They had to have been. I can't remember to be honest. I would, but... I would, I would bet my picks record, which isn't great and isn't saying much, um, <laughs> that they were ranked. And like Adrian Martinez was like that dark horse, but like also kind of on the outside of the Heisman Trophy like list. I've always thought Adrian Martinez was a really good quarterback, and even at Nebraska, he put up some big numbers. Um, but this is a clear cut example of a guy who gets who gets who gets freed of the shackles of of Nebraska football to just you know go on a, a bigger stage and and uh, take control so much control that people are like this this guy if he if he strings together a couple more of these games he's going to be in the Heisman conversation but he's yeah. kind of been that player since he since he was at Nebraska and even in that game against Michigan last year like he was great until he you know fumbled the game away but yeah he was always a yardage monster he put up numbers um so glad to see him succeed and you know uh nebraska fans just getting kicked while they're down right now it's tough it's uh poor tough to be a corn husker do you know their do you know their game is sold out this weekend against indiana is it really those guys man oh my gosh god bless those fans god bless them First game, though, that actually happened, Maryland at Michigan. This one was really interesting, much more interesting than either of us wanted it to be and more interesting than any any of us expected. Michigan gets a win at home, 34-27, some box score stuff. J.J. had 220 yards and two touchdowns, only five rushing yards for him, though. But the the story of the game was Blake Corum for Michigan. Absolutely put the team on his back. 30 carries for 243 yards and two touchdowns. He did this without a backup running back. Like he didn't get any rest because the one snap he came out for and they put in CJ Stokes because Donovan Edwards is hurt. He fumbled the ball away. So they were like, okay, Blake, you can't come out of the game. And he didn't. And he was absolutely incredible. Talia had a decent game, but definitely not his finest hour. 20 for 30, 207, one touchdown, two interceptions, which one of them is very questionable. But um, he got banged up in this one, too. He was limping around the field. Michigan escapes. It could have been a lot worse for Michigan. There were a lot of uh, mistakes of theirs that 
that Maryland didn't capitalize on or the football just bounced Michigan's mm-hmm. way. So a win's a win, but it was an ugly one. There's so much you could pull from this game, and I think that's mostly just because we were – like this is the game, obviously, that the three of us watched the closest because of given our fan allegiance. But I, I'll talk about a few things. Number one, Talia played the first half of this game exceptionally well, and then he took a hit I think early in the third quarter, and he just wasn't the same. Um, and that probably led to some of his questionable decisions because, I mean, he's – once you sustain an injury of that caliber, I think I think it was a rib injury. I think I'm not quite sure. It could, it looked like it was rib or hip, something like that, because he might have been limping. So it was somewhere Mid-section in that section area. area, and like that's going to affect your decision making because you don't want to get hit. You want to get rid of the ball as soon as possible. Um, so, but other than that, the guy was torching Michigan. I mean, he was he was scrambling for yardage and like you know putting himself into you know a great position for uh, the Maryland offense. So. Um, if if he didn't sustain that injury, we may have been sweating a little bit more. Um, Blake Corum was phenomenal. Um, Maryland knew he was. Maryland knew Michigan was going to run the ball with Blake, and he still was able to put up the yardage that he did. Like it, it, it shades yep. of what Michigan's trying to do. Like we're going to run the ball, uh, and you're going to know we're going to run the ball, and you're not going to be able to stop us. And Maryland could not could not stop them. Um, so great to see from Blake there. Did you have something that you were going to pop in and say? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that Blake at this point in the season, if Michigan had had a tougher non-conference schedule and he would have actually played four quarters of football for a couple of games, I think he's right smack dab in the middle of the Heisman conversation. And I don't think that's like a a fantasy or a far-fetched idea that if he strings a couple of these games together and I think he has it in him that he's going to put himself up there in the top four or five guys when we talk about the Heisman Trophy in the conversation right now he leads the Big Ten or he leads I think college football in in rushing touchdowns doesn't he with nine I I, yeah I think he leads him in rushing touchdowns and he's top 10 in rushing yards so nobody's I'm not I just haven't heard his name mentioned yet but I think about midway through the season, we probably will hear his name. But we could talk about Blake all day. There were some other things in this game, though. Just something to point out. Maryland absolutely played their best game of the year in this game. They We talked about their penalties last week. Eight in week one, eight in week two, 15 in week three, and then they go into Michigan, one penalty. They played disciplined, they their secondary oh. blanketed Michigan receivers for most of the game. JJ had all the time in the world and couldn't find anybody to throw to half the time. Um, but that was kind of the the stuff I got from Maryland. The stuff for Michigan, the defense did step up in the second half, but they did not get a lot of pressure Zero on Tua pass rush. At, at all. No, even in the second half, they didn't have any pass rush. I, I outside of the hit they they got which that was even late that wasn't a sack that was he had already released the ball um but yeah the michigan defense is struggling getting pressure on on the quarterback right now either which is super concerning they they rushed four four dudes pretty consistently like i play after play it was just four four rushing the quarterback four rushing the quarterback and i'm like throwing a blitz or something because obviously these guys are not winning the one-on-one or double team battles in that case um and two of or uh, Tagovailoa burned him um, before he got hurt. He did absolutely. 
And JJ, while his numbers didn't look bad, they weren't electric, but they weren't bad. He had, it could have been a lot worse mm-hmm. for him. He fumbled the ball twice and we recovered both of them. And then he threw that pass. He was going for Cornelius Johnson in the corner mm-hmm. of the end zone. And it was caught by a Maryland defender. It was intercepted, but he came down. The defender kicked the pylon in the end zone. So he was out of bounds. So it was a zero turnover game for JJ, but it was very, very close to being a three turnover game. And this is what you get when you start the young five-star over the vet. You get the risky plays, but you also get the electric ones. But we weren't getting a lot of electric ones in this game is the thing. He was a little bit inaccurate on his deep Mm -hmm. ball. He didn't hit really any pass um, that he really launched. He hit one to Ronnie Bell in the fourth quarter that set up the field goal, um, put Michigan up by uh, 10, I think. He did, actually. You're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, Ronnie Bell on the sideline. But uh, he missed a lot of open guys. So it could have been a much worse stat line for him. He got away with it. And in my head, I'm just kind of hoping that that was the game and he escaped it and and he'll be better going forward. Closing thoughts, because I don't want to keep it too loud uh, or loud, long. Excuse me. Um, Yeah, I I think that was a little concerning with uh, some of those deep balls that just, it just wasn't sharp. It wasn't a sharp game from JJ. Um, Don't know what that was, whether first big 10 game, first real competition. Okay, cool. Uh, But the fact that you can move past that, put that on film. Okay. Like, and it seems to me that JJ is a guy who's going to learn from those mistakes. I mean, you don't just become a five-star quarterback for talent alone. You have to, I would assume you would have to know how to play the position. And then also having last season learning under McNamara, who is a very safe and efficient quarterback. I feel like you're going to pick on up on some of those things because for the majority of the game, McCarthy wasn't taking those deep shots and Maryland had great coverage. Even, you know, Gus Johnson and Joel Clapp were talking about how great Maryland's coverage was. And that's when the play calls began to shift to the short crossing routes in which JJ was like, okay, fine. I will take Schoon over over the middle and get my five yards or 10 yards if he's not covered. And they were able to do that and do that consistently in the second quarter after the play calling uh, adapted to what the defense was giving to them. Um, last thing it seemed like there was a lot of complaints about how the playbook was limited. Michigan has done this every year for the past four years. They're not going to open up the playbook this early in the season, especially the first game of the big 10 schedule. Um, Maryland was, I probably, I would think a little bit better than they had expected, but they still stuck to their guns. And as a Michigan fan, it's, you have to look at this game. Are you going to look at this game, which wasn't a game where you're firing on all cylinders and be upset about it? Or are you going to look at this game where they weren't firing on all cylinders and like, hey, we weren't that great and we still won? Like, how are you going to take that away? And that's, I think, how fans are going to wrestle with this game. Yep, I think you're right about JJ. He'll learn from this. And like you said, you'd much rather learn from a win than from a loss. FAU, Florida Atlantic, goes to Purdue and makes this a really, really close game. Purdue was without Aiden O'Connell. So obviously that offense is not going to be as potent, but they do get the win 28-26. Burton, uh, in relief of O'Connell, was all right, 21 for 29, 166 yards, three touchdowns to one pick. Um, I mean, Purdue just doesn't look 
good, especially the defense. And then when you take away their star quarterback, you get a close game like this against an opponent that it shouldn't be close. Listen, Purdue is the Charlie Jones show. You're going to watch Purdue football for Charlie Jones. I said that last week. and He had another spectacular game. I think he had a fumble regardless of that. Purdue didn't play great, and this was their homecoming game. And that's pretty sad that they didn't play great in the midst of that. Um, they're just a bad football team. They're just bad. Like, the defense is bad. They have no running game. And once you take their sixth-year quarterback out of the equation, they're just – they're going to struggle against an FAU opponent who they should beat single-handedly. And yet this was a game for far too long. Like you schedule a homecoming game that you should comfortably win, right? In college football, high school, like that's how it goes. They didn't look great. FAU was running all over them. They had a very athletic quarterback um, and play calls were excellent and Purdue just frankly didn't adjust and they were able to they were able to pull out a victory because they had more talent uh, you know Big 10 Division 1 talent I guess right um, and right. just a very lackluster performance for a night game I'll say this uh Burton I, they they did a little story on him or at least the ESPN mock up uh talked about how he's waited 2 years for his first start um, I don't think he played bad. I, and honestly, I think his arm strength is a little bit more impressive than uh, um, Aiden O'Connell's, but his inexperience definitely showed. And if you have an inexperienced quarterback with a coaching staff who we have all agreed is not very good, that is a recipe for disaster. Okay. And they were able to skin by <laughs> barely in this game. Um, and I guess they're just hoping and praying that uh, Aiden O'Connell comes back for next week. Yeah, no word on if he's going to be back yet for this week. But the most concerning part for this team, like you said, is the defense. They allowed 419 total yards of offense, 230 through the air and 190 on the ground. And who do they have the next two weeks? Minnesota and Maryland. Like those offenses are better than FAU's. And Maryland's got a mobile quarterback, assuming Talia is – healthy Minnesota has one of the best running backs not just in the conference in the country and an experienced quarterback with an OC he's comfortable with the, this is not going to be an easy next two weeks for Purdue fans they already got done sweating bullets this weekend the next two teams they play I can easily see those actually I probably do see those as being two losses because the teams they're playing are playing their best football right now and Purdue feels like they're getting worse you can't afford, in, especially in the Big Ten this year, maybe in Big Ten years past, you could afford to have a not-so-great defense, but the conference has good quarterbacks and really good running back play now. So you can't get away with that all year. And I think they're probably I'm, – I'm just calling it now. They're, they're out of the Big Ten West race. I was a fool for believing in this team. I thought with their experience, I thought with Aiden O'Connell coming back and – Oh, I should have just known after the Penn State game. It's just like if they if they they had that game locked up, tied up in a bow. All they had to do was just be smart and like run and, the and they ball. couldn't and they couldn't they couldn't do it. And even the Syracuse game, 
They had it locked up, ready for them to go. All they had to do was be smart. What do you do? Two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties back-to-back, which gives Syracuse excellent field position. And then you proceed to just forget how to play defense and hold everybody. It's just a horribly coached team with, I don't want to say no leadership, because I think Aiden O'Connell has been great. Um, in that department, but just, uh, you weren't the only one, buddy. You weren't the only one who got fooled. I'm just disappointed. Just that's it. Like look at the team. And I'm not. I'm not. He's not mad, Purdue. He's just disappointed. My team. I've got nothing to do with this team. I just. I just look at him like, you could have done so much more, but you didn't. But they didn't. A team who is doing more. Penn State. They had Central Michigan visit them. This was actually a close game for a little bit. At halftime, Penn State was only up 21-14, but they shut Central Michigan out in the second half, ended up getting the win 33-14. to Sean Clifford threw for three touchdowns and ran for another. He threw for 217 yards. Nick Singleton, the star freshman, was actually bottled up. He only had 42 yards on the ground, but the other star freshman running back for Penn State, Katron Allen, 13 carries, 111 yards, one touchdown, and as impressive as these freshman running backs are, the most impressive part to me about Penn State is their defense. In this game, they forced four turnovers. One of them was on special teams, but four turnovers against a Central Michigan team who was moving the ball, but you you can't score, you can't finish drives when you keep turning it over, and Penn State does that better than just about anybody. And then their secondary is absolutely elite joey porter jr has nine pass breakups on the season he leads the nation and then as a team they have 41 pass breakups which also leads the nation when you have a great running game a quarterback who doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes and a defense that turns people over and a lights out secondary those are all the ingredients you want for a team that can that can go a long ways in this season without losing a lot of football games. Yeah, Penn State is, I mean, they're a legacy football program. They're going to they're gonna reload, they're going to retool, and even when you think they're not going to be that great, they're going to just continue to play competitive football. And that's what you're seeing this year. They go into SEC country, they win a big game. Auburn's not great, but still, winning a road game of that stature is very impressive. And they were able to weather, I don't want to say weather the storm, because, like, Penn State was in control of that football game, but it wasn't easy because Central Central brought it almost to within one score uh, in the third quarter of that game. It was called back uh, due to a pass interference call uh, on the offense. Um, and Central, I think, has one of the best offenses in the MAC. Maybe, I don't want to say the country. I'd have to double-check on that. But for sure, the MAC, and they were able to put up some big, big numbers. And they hung with. Penn State in Happy Valley, which is a very difficult thing to do. Um, I really have nothing else to say on this game other than this is just a good football team who knows how to take care of business, taking care of business in a non-conference, non-Power 5 regular season game. Um, That's what you expect from winning programs, and Penn State's a winning program. Yeah, if you're a Penn State fan – you, you could be a little bit concerned about the yardage and Central being able to move the ball. They had 363 yards of total offense, which 
It's obviously not a number you'd like to give up to a team like Central Michigan, but if they can continue to just bend and not break in a way, they can still get out of a lot of games with wins and they may be closer than they want, but it's a recipe for success. They can absolutely do that and get away with it. And no one cares. I mean, people do, but at the end of the day, no one cares how you win your games. It's just if you win your games. I'm sure I'm sure Nebraska, ask Nebraska, okay? <laughs> if they won every single one of those games that they lost by one score and they, they just flipped the script and they won those games by one score, they would take that any day of the week. So win your games. And Penn State wins their games. It, it's don't overcomplicate. Yep. Don't read too much in between. The, and maybe even for Michigan fans, too, in a, in a, in a, in a game this week. Don't look too much into it. You won your game. Move on. Prepare for the next week. Reload. Retool. Do whatever you need to do. If your freshman running back who was a stud the week prior wasn't a stud this year, then your other next guy up. He's gonna come back and he's gonna come back and you know pick up the pick up the slack. That's what good programs do. There's no pictures on the scorecard. That's for sure. Chattanooga went to Illinois and got beat up. Illinois shut them out. This might be the second opponent they've shut out. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Illinois beats them 31. Yeah, double check that really quick. But Illinois beats up on them 31 nothing. Tommy DeVito, he had himself a day. He like he he pulled out a little bit. Uh, let me pull up the box score here. DeVito had 332 passing yards and three touchdowns. Like the dude was slinging it. And it was dope. Chase Brown, again, he's leading the nation, I believe. Yeah, Chase Brown is leading the nation in rushing yards right now with 604. Mm -hmm. He had 108 in this game with a touchdown. Uh, They have really good skilled players. Isaiah Williams, 103 yards receiving with a touchdown. They've got a good squad, a good core. And that defense, we said it uh, a couple of weeks ago. I forget who they played, but they're really violent and they're really fast. And I'm they they lost that game against yes. Indiana, which they definitely shouldn't have. They definitely gave that away. But it doesn't look like that slowed them down a bit. They've bounced back and they've won games that they should. So this is this is the thing I want to talk about here, and something I noticed a lot because I watched this game. I had it dual screen with the Thursday night football game. Um, Illinois did a lot of short bubble screen passes. That was pretty consistently their offense in the first half. I would say these short, like little, little bubble screen with the receivers or, or short little crossing routes. And even like the, they had a 63 yard uh, touchdown pass later in the game. That was off of guess what? A wide receiver bubble screen. So uh, I thought it was very interesting. And even Michigan did that a little bit in some of the earlier games uh, as well. Um, They didn't really have to test Chattanooga at all in this game. They just like dumped the ball off and they let their skilled players do the rest of the work. Um, I think that if that works, why on earth would you open up your playbook? Why on earth would you get more creative? It, it, and like Chattanooga is bad, or or not to the caliber of Illinois, very obviously. Um, but I just I just thought it was like that just speaks to the the level of uh, 
of talent uh, dis, uh, disproportionate, like talent uh, distribution, um, because uh, Illinois' playbook wasn't creative at all, and yet they were still pounding the ball down Chattanooga's throats, even even with runs, even with uh, they did one trick play that led to a touchdown. I think it was like the triple like the triple pass or something like that. And it was just like a short, like 20 short, 20 yard. That's an oxymoron, but um, like a, like a 20 yard uh, corner uh, to, the, yeah. to the end zone. Yeah. Um, but I was just very surprised at like the lack of creativity because they were just so much better than Chattanooga. Um, and I, I, again, I agree with you, Alex uh, defense is violent and that's going to, that's going to wear somebody down at the end of the year. Just, they just keep attacking. They keep being aggressive. And you're honestly, at some point in the game, you're just going to be like, Oh, I gotta go on the field again and play these guys. I don't think they're (laughs) at that level, but if, if there is a team that's going to upset somebody in the big 10 in conference play, I think we were all in agreement that it's going to be Illinois and that's how they're going to do it. They're going to, they're going to keep, doing what they know how to do well on offense, keep it simple, but they're going to hit you. They're going to hit you hard. And if you don't get back up and get back out there, then you might as well just dig your own grave because that's the style of play that Illinois plays. I will say this. I, I think the Thursday night game is awesome. I, I, I th- but it's just so unfortunate that we just get like Illinois and Chattanooga. And I think, you lose the luster of it because NFL plays Thursday night. So, okay, like that's fine. But the next day, Virginia and Syracuse played on Friday. Let's get some of like some big 10, more big 10 action on Friday night instead of the Thursday. Cause then you can get Sundays, Mondays with football. You get some mat games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You get Thursday night football with the NFL Friday and Saturday college football. Let's go. The more football, the better. Indiana loses to Cincinnati, as expected. Cincinnati's a really good football team. Cincinnati 45, Indiana 24. But this one was really weird. Cincinnati came out guns a-blazing, and at halftime it was 38-10. to 10, And then Indiana outscored them 14-7 to 7 in the second half. I was so nervous that Indiana was going to backdoor cover this game and, and ruin my great week. But they didn't. Cincinnati covered. Indiana's just a weird team. They do not play well, and they just figure out a way to make games interesting. Like, there was a point at the end where it was like, oh, it's a two-possession game. Indiana's got the ball. Like, can they make it interesting? And they never did, but you always got that thought in your mind when Indiana's playing. It's just a very strange thing to watch. Cincinnati capitalizes on big plays. Everybody talks about and one of the things against Michigan was like, oh, they don't capitalize on big yardage plays. That's what Cincinnati does, and they keep those games close. Um, that's why you're getting kind of nervous. They kind of they, and they let their foot, they let the foot off the brakes or off the gas, excuse me. Um, and that's, I mean, simply that's just what happened. Everybody has watched this Indiana team. It's like, how are they three and zero? How are they the? How are they having a straight A? Doesn't make. How are they sense. having a straight A first quarter? Like this doesn't make any sense. And then you like give them the real tough like algebra test, and this is what happened. Like they they did exactly what you thought they were going to do. They didn't cover. They didn't play well. They made it a little interesting. Like they kind of knew something. They kind of learned something in class, but ultimately they still failed the test. So um, 
it was just a it was just a Saturday of the of the other shoe dropping for this Indiana squad. Um, how they bounce back from it, and this is a tough game too. Going into Cincinnati as a non-conference team that went to the college football Definitely. playoff last year knows how to win, knows how to play those big games. Went undefeated in the regular season. That's a tough matchup for any team, let alone in Indiana. Um, but Indiana was overmatched and uh, failed the test. They were. Bazelak threw for 280, had two touchdowns but two picks, and then Shivers for them led them in rushing 79 yards and a touchdown. Fantastic names. Iowa at Rutgers, the sicko committee game of the week where the punters were featured on the graphics. The punters were still the stars of the game, by the way. But Iowa... Iowa wins twenty-seven to ten. Um, I think, I mean the the final score between Iowa and Rutgers is obviously interesting, but the final score between Iowa's offense and Iowa's defense is even more interesting. Iowa's defense fourteen in this game. The Iowa offense thirteen. The defense takes the win this week for the second time. For the second time in four weeks, the Iowa defense has outscored their offense. It was crazy. And I think when you look at the box score of this game, like you look at the final score, 27-10, and you think like, oh, Iowa just like, it was a route. Like, wasn't even close. Go look at this box score. Total yards for each team. Iowa, 277. Rutgers, 361. This is a really good Iowa defense. And Rutgers put up 361 yards on them of offense. They just kept turning the ball over and they were getting stopped, like turnovers on downs, everything. They were moving it in between the 20s. They just couldn't get it in the end zone. So maybe you second guess how great that Iowa defense is, but they also scored more points than the offense. So I don't know. No, this Iowa defense is good. It's very good. You don't just outscore your offense. I mean, your offense has to be bad to outscore your offense like multiple times in a four-week season thus far. Um, but your defense also in that equation has to put up points and they absolutely did. Uh, I'm scared of this Iowa defense. They were suffocating. They are ball Hawks. They capitalize on mistakes. And if their offense doesn't capitalize on it, the defense will just bring it in themselves. They are very capable of doing so. Um, I, I honestly, I was, I was hoping for more of a sicko defensive struggle of just like zero, zero or three to zero. And like the defense is just absolutely suffocating each other. Um, but we didn't get that. And actually Iowa's offense looked a little bit competent um, this week. Yeah, uh, I think even uh, uh, Petras uh, completed a 60 yard pass as well. And like, I remember like this is going to get picked off and it's like, Oh, he, he placed that ball right in the bread he did i think it was to the tight end laporta yes, Laporta wasn't had it? a huge game too i feel like i heard his name all night um so yeah. i know it's rutgers i get it but i don't want to face iowa with their offense beginning to like look serviceable and their defense also capitalizing on a bunch of mistakes after a week that michigan had uh some mistakes that weren't capitalized on. Um, but also on the flip side, I, that is a good point. Lots of yardage given up. They they bent but didn't break in that game. 
And yep. then they also were able to capitalize uh, on Rutgers' mistakes and just assert their will. I mean, everyone thought Rutgers was turning the corner, and this was a game where everyone watched it, and it's like, okay, yes, this team is going to lose by 150 to Ohio State next week. Like, this is, like... Yep. It was, Yeah, it was the story that we were used to seeing. And just to put the cherry on top of how bad Iowa's offense has been this year, through four games, the Iowa offense... Five offensive touchdowns this year through four games. Let's keep that trend. Let's keep that trend going, Iowa, because uh, our Wolverines are coming to see you, and we'd, we'd like to have a stress-free football game. Wouldn't you, Corey? That would be great. But you'd never get stress-free football games when your team is going to play at Kinnick. Ever. No. No, you don't. No, you don't. I'm never stress-free watching Northwestern play football. I freaking... I freaking put all my chips in the middle on this team and they're going to cost me. They're going to cost me money this year. I had a bet going with Ethan that they would make a bowl game and have six wins. I had a bet going with my best friend, my wife's, my wife's cousin who said that Minnesota would finish higher in the standings than Northwestern. And I was like, Oh no way. Northwestern will finish higher than Minnesota. That's obviously out the window. They lose to Miami no, not not the U, not the U, Miami of Ohio, 17 to 14. And I think the worst part about this is you can see the path for Northwestern to win football games. Like in each of these games, they haven't looked like a just super inferior football team, but they turn the ball over every chance they get. They outgained Miami of Ohio 364 to 278. So about a hundred yards more of offense, but they lost the turnover battle to zip. And the worst part about this losing the turnover battle for them, both fumbles, both by the same wide receiver. I mean, how often does that happen to a team? And the poor guy, Malik Washington, he had a good he had a good day. I think he led him in catches and uh, receptions with eight. Um, but turned the ball over twice. They allowed 216 yards rushing from Miami of Ohio. This, I, I mean, that take for me, it was horrible. It's as bad as a Nebraska take from from preseason. But I planted my flag again last week or the week before, and. This is not aged well, and Northwestern newsflash is not going to make a bowl game. Northwestern just isn't exceptionally good at anything. <laughs> not only not only are they giving the team the ball at any chance that they can, they're just they're just not good enough. Yeah, they're not they're not great at any one thing. They have a great left tackle in Skronsky, I think is how you pronounce his name, but outside of him. I mean, I think I think Evan Hall is a really good running back, but they don't have one unit that you look at and and you're like, oh yeah, they can they can go out there and impose their will or do something like that to a football team. But they they don't play complimentary football. They don't play clean football when they're turning the ball over that much. They're not going to win a lot of no, games. They're not. And I I'm I'm sad for you, Alex, but I'm also sad that I believed in you. Thank you. Because I I looked at this game. For last week's pick, uh, and I'm like, "There's they can't they can't possibly lose this game, can they?" And then I'm like, "If I was thinking that they can't possibly lose this game, I shouldn't have said that they were going to cover." 
Oh yeah, didn't we bully yeah, you, you into did. that pick? You did. So let's <laughs> Yeah, we called you a yeah, coward. You know what? I'm never I don't I don't I don't care what you guys are ever gonna say ever again. I'm gonna go with my judgment because I knew in my heart that this team was bad. And I was like thinking and I was just having this I was only having this inner dialogue with myself because I was like, they they're not this bad. The Northwestern team that I watched, like beat the Michigan States, beat Michigan, like this, this, this can't be, this can't possibly. And you know what? It did. They lose to Miami of Ohio, which honestly, I mean, Miami of Ohio could probably be the Miami of Florida right now too. Um, but that's a different story for a different time and probably for a different podcast. Um, but golly. Yeah, it's not good. I think I'm gonna have to to burn the Northwestern shirt that my dad sent me all of two the, weeks the ago. N, the end teams in the Big Ten are bad. End teams bad. Yeah, just as a rule of thumb, just use that whenever you're betting, even in life, dating and names that start with N. No, 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 thank you. Minnesota at Michigan State. Minnesota. This game was over in the first couple of drives, like it happened so fast. Minnesota beats them. I, I can't, I don't think I gave a final score 34 to seven, 34 to seven. And the seven was like a garbage time touchdown. I'm pretty sure Minnesota outgained Michigan state five Oh eight to two forty. And because they can run the ball, like they do time of possession in this game, 42 minutes to Minnesota. Mo Ibrahim had another 100-yard game. That's his 13th straight game with 100 rushing yards. The dude is elite. He had a touchdown. Tanner Morgan, 268 yards through the air and three touchdowns. And you might be saying to yourself, Tanner Morgan's that guy? He's him? The thing is, because the threat of that running game for Minnesota was so immense, they RPO'd Michigan State to death. They would show that ball in Mo Ibrahim's stomach. Let they would ride out the play a little bit. Linebackers came up, and as soon as Tanner Morgan pulled the ball, an already bad Michigan State secondary had linebackers that stepped up, and the throwing lanes were absolutely wide open. Absolutely wide open. It didn't help for State that Thorne did not play well. They, as a team, they had three turnovers. All of them were Peyton Thorne. He was inaccurate. He fumbled inside the Minnesota five on their first drive of the second half, which could have been a score to at least give them a little hope as a team. They only had 38 rushing yards. I don't want to take all the time from you or give all the numbers, but it was just, just giving those to paint the picture of how lopsided this game was. You don't need to take much time from me because it's going to be very simple. Michigan state is bad. (laughs) Or at least is bad right now. Maybe we should just pump the brakes and say that. I've said this for three weeks in a row. The secondary is horrible. Okay. And the run game, which was good the first couple weeks, has now not shown up for two straight weeks. And when it doesn't show up for two straight weeks, you become a one-dimensional offense. And I have said that I do not like Peyton Thorne as a quarterback. Now I will cut him some slack in the fact that Essentially, the first three times he touched the ball, they were down by two scores, or they were down by a score, 
They were down then by another score. They were down by three scores before the offense could even settle into this game. So when your run game isn't great, you kind of have to abandon it, and then you have to make plays for yourself. And Peyton Thorne was able to drive, but then because he's trying to make the big play, he was prone to mistakes, and that is exactly what happened. Now, if you have a better quarterback, you can get away with that and bring them into games. That is why I don't think Peyton Thorne is a good quarterback, because when you put the game in his hands, it's not going to end well for you. And we saw three turnovers from him in that game. Again, I want to give him credit. Defense knew that you know he was going to have to try to bring them back into this game, and he's going to make some more risky throws, risky plays. Um, but you don't want Peyton Thorne in that situation ever. No, you don't. And it's probably part of the reason that Ethan's sick for this podcast. He said a couple weeks ago that he thought Peyton Thorne was a top three quarterback in the Big Ten. And you and I both were like, eh, I don't know about that. I don't want to talk about the Michigan State game last year, not because of the result, but because I've already mentioned it. Peyton Thorne, as far as I can remember, made one great throw. It was a big point in the game, but you're going to have those plays. The longer that you play college court or college football, you're going to make a play that's huge in a given situation. Sure. Um, but, you know, what separates the, you know, the okay quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks is how many of those play. I can't remember another play that Peyton Thorne made. Me either. Me either. There's not a lot of those memorable electric plays from him. Uh, I mean, all of them were from Kenneth Walker okay, last well. year. And, and this year you're watching him, you know, in an offense that they were able to run the ball earlier in the year, but they weren't playing a team like Minnesota. And now the offensive line is getting exposed. Uh, They were even getting exposed a little bit early in the season too, but now you really saw it like, Oh, only 38 rushing yards as a team. Not good. Yikes. Like that is not good. That is not good. And they've got a really tough schedule the rest of the way. I thought they were a seven or eight win team before this game. And and I didn't have them losing to Minnesota preseason, and I still thought they were a seven eight win team. So they've lost, they've lost back to back games now. Here are their next four opponents: Maryland, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. That's tough. This could easily be a six game losing streak for they, this team. They will show up against Michigan. We all know that they'll make that a game. Uh, but they won't win. Michigan will do the same thing that Minnesota did and just RPO the crap out of them. Ohio State will do the same thing. Wisconsin could probably don't do adjust. the same thing. I mean, they have to, you'd have to think if you're if you are a good to okay college football coach, you'd have to think you're going to make some sort of adjustment. Call bring more pressure. Call blitz every so often or get creative in your coverage, okay? This will be a factor. This will be how well can Michigan State's coaching staff coach this team and adapt to what teams have been able to do against them. Now, I'm done talking about Michigan State because I don't want to take away from Minnesota because Minnesota played exceptionally well. They did not just win this game. They took Michigan State's lunch money, beat the crap out of them, and carved them up for Brett. They took their pants. That's what they did. They took their pants. (laughs) They they took their pants off. (laughs) They took (laughs) <laughs> okay alex Ooh. but no they well you they, said it. i didn't they, yes okay fine yes they beat they beat the brakes off of this team and ever and they they cemented themselves firm into that 
Big Ten West conversation as the front runner, I would think. Because Wisconsin, we'll talk about them in a second, got their brake speed off of them. And no other team really in that division looks like they, they could stop Minnesota right now. I think you're absolutely right. Minnesota has put themselves in the driver's seat. And yeah, don't want to spend all the time on Michigan State because they, you're right, they looked they dominant well, they and well. they've looked like the most, yes, they did everything well and they look like the most complete team in the Big Ten West. So if I had to put my money on anyone in the West right now, it's absolutely Minnesota. I, I, I mean, Vegas has to think they're the favorite too. So I, I don't know. Minnesota played great. Ohio State crushes Wisconsin. 52 to 21. Now you might see 52 to 21 and think, oh, it's not the worst thing in the world. It it was not even, it, it was much worse than that. Much worse than that. Ohio State got out to a 28 zip lead. First four drives, four touchdowns for Ohio State. I mean, it looked just incredibly easy for them. Incredibly easy. Stroud had 281 yards, five touchdowns, only one pick. Travion Henderson, 121 yards on the ground. Mayan Williams, 101 yards on the ground. Ohio State did absolutely whatever they wanted to to Wisconsin, which I think we all thought they would. Night game, blackout. This team is a well-oiled machine right now. They look the best that they've looked all season, and this offense is living up to the hype. Oh, by the way, they did this without Jackson Smith and Jigba who might be the best wide receiver in the entire country. The defense looked great. Mertz only had 94 passing yards. Braylon Allen, he had 165 rushing yards, but didn't really matter. And this was just an absolute work of art from Ohio State crushing Wisconsin. Remember when I thought that there was something wrong with Travion Henderson? Yeah, that's all. Yes. That's it. He's- He's fine. He's fine. It's just, there's, Ohio State's a machine. The, this performance was surgical. I didn't even need to watch this game. and just like I turned it off yeah, at halftime. Yep, yep. CJ Stroud did whatever he wanted. Henderson did whatever he wanted. Williams did whatever they wanted. And, uh, and uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. wore uh, Gucci cleats and an Apple Watch on the field. They just they, – we're going to – It's, it's, it's whatever they want. you. And honestly, they pro- they almost pulled the Larry Birds like, "Hey, we're going to run this play, and then and we're going to score a touchdown, and there's nothing you can do about it." I- it feels like they're on the ultimate revenge tour because of last year. Like they are just going to blow out everybody they can. And the thing is, they have the offense mm-hmm. to do it. I I I'm I'm I will be very excited for the Penn State. Ohio State game. That'll be that'll be some good football because that'll probably be the best team that Ohio State plays before they play Michigan. And that's not to say that Michigan is like this grand like like master of a football team right now. That's just like uh, the, we all think Wisconsin's a solid team. Oh yeah, they beat they beat them by like four scores without any without any hesitation, without any pushback. That's horrifying. It, it, yeah, it just looked, I, I mean, we can say it a million times, it just looked too easy. No one was even close to these receivers. They threw it to whoever they wanted. And once Jackson Smith and Jigba gets back in this offense, 
they're going to score as many points as they want. They can call their number and they're going to score that many points. And until a team shows up who can hold them to 35, you're not going to have much of a shot to win. Or just keep the offense off the field. Just can, you have to control uh, time of possession. <laughs> it, right. Like, like Minnesota did where you've got the ball for 42 minutes, right? Like that's, that's the kind of thing that has to happen to keep them from scoring just a million. By simply not allowing them to see the field, not even stopping them on it, just keeping them off. Exactly. That's, that's how you're going to have to beat this team. That's the game plan moving forward for any team that wants to beat Ohio state this year is to literally keep their offense off the field. And Wisconsin's got a, got a rebound quick because they have a dangerous Illinois team coming in like we were yes. talking about. So that's week four. Week five, we got to make our picks coming up, but just a little bit on week four because I want to brag the picks this week. Corey and Ethan, it, it wasn't wasn't horrible. Don't do that, Corey. It Shut wasn't up. horrible. It could have been worse. You were three and five, both of you, and uh, – I showed out with a nice six and two. I started out the day zero and two, and was peeing my pants. I was like, "Dear God, I'm going to fall so far behind in this that it's just going to be laughable." But just absolutely ripped off six wins in a row. Thank you, Big Ten football teams who I picked. And our total, our total for the year: Ethan's twenty eight and eighteen. I'm four games back at twenty four wins. And then you're one game back behind me. You're 23 and 23. You're hovering on 500. This is a big week for you. You could dip below 500. Mm, I probably will. I'm just horrible at this. But you know what? Slow and steady, baby. Wins the race. It's not how you you start. It's how you finish. I'm looking at you, Nebraska. But starting well does It it will prevent you from having a difficult time to finish. (laughs) So even though Ethan's sick, we do have his picks for this week, um, and we obviously have ours too. So let's get into it. First game on the docket, Michigan traveling to Kinnick, which is never fun, but at least it's at noon. It's not a night game. Michigan's minus 10 10 and a half in this one. Iowa, their offense is just too bad for me to believe they're going to score enough to keep up with Michigan. Michigan's defense played a lot better in the second half. Iowa's offense only scored 13 points against Rutgers. So I think this game is going to fall somewhere in like the 21 to 10, 21 to 7 range. And I've got Michigan covering, as does Ethan. Iowa has a five-game win streak against top five opponents at home. With a collection of, and is it a five-game win streak? I thought there was one I, loss. I, I in think there. it was five. I think it was five straight games. It is something it's insane. Something, it's, it's something, something insane. insane. A collection of the Penn States, the Ohio States, and the Michigan or in Michigan. So, I mean, JJ being a young quarterback, I didn't feel great about this game at the beginning of the season. I said that, and I even said the fact that I think Michigan State or Michigan, excuse me would lose this game if it were a night it's not a night game Iowa's offense is horrible um and Michigan's offense at least has some more depth but still I would be comfortable with Michigan maybe winning this game by 10 points I I don't see him blowing the brakes off of Iowa and honestly I'm still scared I think Iowa could very well win this game uh given that they capitalize on turnovers I say Iowa covers yeah, JJ worries me a little bit, but 
I think somehow they'll pull it out. I've been wrong on every single Michigan pick this year, though. So we'll see. Illinois goes to Wisconsin. Wisconsin is minus seven in this one. I think if I had the guts to do it, I would put money on Illinois outright winning this game. I think there's a really, really good chance of that happening. I've got Illinois covering. Uh, no. Wisconsin is going to cover, I think. After, after getting embarrassed on national television and knowing the type of program that Wisconsin is, I think they bounce back well. They will not lose this game, not coming off of a loss like that, unless they're just going to completely reel for the rest of the season. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's the mo of this Wisconsin team. Wisconsin, Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema's out for revenge, and his players know it. It's a home game. Going into Wisconsin, going and playing in Wisconsin is just as tough as going to play at Iowa. Well, Ethan's with you. He's got Wisconsin too, so we'll see. Purdue at Minnesota. Minnesota minus twelve and a half. Uh, Purdue's defense is not getting any better in one week, and Minnesota does too many things really, really well. I'm going to take Minnesota to cover. I have zero faith in this Purdue team anymore. I'm sick of being hurt by a team that I do not root for. So, therefore, Minnesota, you cover this game. Oh, Corey's spirit is I've been, just I've been destroyed. We're only six weeks into this podcast. Rutgers at Ohio State. Ohio State minus 40 and a half. I already said it. I think they can score as many points as they want to, and I think they'll keep their starters in longer against Big Ten opponents. So uh, I've got Ohio State covering minus 40 I just think that that's an insane line for a Big Ten opponent. I don't care if it's Rutgers. Really, I don't. I. What are you doing? I, I, could, I could see Rutgers losing by 40 or even 38. Maybe this is the game that Rutgers is like, hey, we're going to decide to play good football for a couple minutes. I that's that is a massive line for a Big Ten opponent. I just given that the fact of that, I I I think Ohio State wins easily. I don't think they necessarily cover all forty. I you got, got Rutgers? Why not? I got to make some ground. Ethan's got I gotta Rutgers make too. Ground. Yeah. There you go. Ethan's got Rutgers, too. He also had Minnesota. I can't remember if I I said his, but uh, Northwestern at Penn State. Penn State minus 26 and a half. Northwestern, to me, is Purdue to you. They've let me down too many times. This number could have been 700, and I'm picking Penn State to cover. Again, that just seems like a really big line for a Big Ten opponent. What, 26 and a half? Not that big. I kind of think so. Like, would you... It's at like, would you, would you go with like, let's say let, hypothetical. And I know we're getting a little bit long, but hypothetically speaking, Penn state wins this game against Northwestern by 21 points. Would you say, man, they smoked them? Probably. Or they win by 24. They get a field goal in there. You picking Northwestern? I hate it, but yeah. Well, Ethan had Penn state. So maybe you'll make up some ground they, on us in that Penn game. Penn state didn't cover against the central. Did they? No, so, they didn't. There you go. Central, I think my Central could beat <laughs> Northwestern. So, <laughs> but still. <laughs> Michigan State travels to Maryland. Maryland is a minus seven and a half. That secondary for Michigan State is going to be, uh, I mean, Maryland's going to be looking at that, just licking their chops, trying to throw the ball all over the place. I think Maryland covers really easily. 
seven and a half. Ethan's got Maryland too. Uh, maybe this is going to be the triple agree because I, I'm I took Michigan State to cover two weeks in a row, and they yep. they they very much did not cut. It wasn't even close. I'm not doing it again. I can't. Maryland. Maryland. Last game. I don't know why this is a night game. Indiana at Nebraska. This line also doesn't make any sense to me. Nebraska is minus five and a half. I think Indiana is just that weird team that they make things close, even though they play super ugly. And I think people are underestimating just how bad Nebraska is. So I've got Indiana covering. I know this isn't, but this is my sickos game of the week. I can, I can't yes. wait to watch this game. Solely because of Love solely it. because of the absolute just horrendousness that is going to happen on the field. That's a weird line, five and a half points for Nebraska, and Nebraska hasn't showed me anything to be favored in any game at any time. So therefore, for that reason, I think Indiana covers, and we'll and I think Scott Frost might be at the game just as a fan, and he just and if he's there, then Nebraska is going to keep this game within a score. <laughs> Just by association. Yeah. Well, those are the picks. Corey, I, I wish you the worst of luck because I don't want you Shut to catch up mouth. to me. How about that? Rude. But that's all we got for this show. Uh, thank you for listening. Please go follow us uh, on the gram and on Twitter at Big Show Pod. Wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever, make sure you subscribe or follow. Leave us a review. Anything you can do to help us out. Send your thoughts to Ethan as he's puking his brains out in his words. Hopefully he's back next week and it'll be a trio instead of a duo. Uh, We will see you next week, though. Thanks for listening. Never pick Nebraska to cover, ever.